welcome to Allegory Story. We're back. My name's Tegan <laughs> My name is Melanie Nevis. And um, this is season two. Has it gotten better? We're not sure. I think so. <laughs> Based on the giggle fit that I've got going on right now, I don't know. Sorry. We were chatting before we started this and it digressed very quickly. As, as things tend to do. So, um, you know, welcome to season two of Allegory Story. This is very, very exciting. Um, I, I feel like I want to say we've come a long way since the last season. Um, I think we're already just getting more comfortable in terms of like talking and um, sounding ridiculous <laughs> as we I tend think- to do. I think being okay with sounding ridiculous is really the key point. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) So uh, also on that note, I just want to say to you, you're a really lovely, kind person because I was looking through the RSS feed and I realized that um, basically because of me, all of our podcasts are marked as it's as explicit. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure I swear a lot too. Oh, good. Cause Michael was like, my husband was like, you swear a lot. And I was yeah, like, yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot that people don't know that. Cause <laughs> <laughs> normally like on, in my public personas online, I don't because I was always told when I started getting into social media and stuff, not to swear because it puts people off. But like my personal personality and humor is like, I swear like a sailor. My mom's been telling me that since I was like 13. So do I. <laughs> it's fine. Don't worry. Okay. So this is a show for the adults. We say dirty words. Like, <laughs> today we're talking about fucking witches. <laughs> <laughs> I think sorry. I just had water kind of come out my nose. Thanks I'm for so that. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, no, but we've decided this season is going to be released in October, which is very close, actually. We're, we're recording this kind of close, too. And yeah. um, we definitely wanted to do something to honor spooky season because Mel and I are spooky bitches. <laughs> it's the best holiday, like the it's, absolute best holiday. There's no way around it. The best holiday. It's genuinely deep in my bones, depressing to me living in France and watching the the lackluster energy around <laughs> fall and Halloween. It's like not even on the radar for Your most fall people. season isn't quite the same as it is in North America. Oh no, it's not. Like, like, it's like, just nothing like it. Our fall season, like this is in a way, part of the reason why I wanted to move here is because the weather is quite good. But our fall season, season, doesn't start until like <laughs> November. Yeah. And then, I mean, I love the fact that your winters are so short and your springs start so early. Honestly, I'd move there just for that too because yeah. winter. But, but mm. fall, like. I know. Fall is American. Magic. Fall is that one. It's I don't know why. It's like I think when you're young, everybody's all about summer. But when you get grow and you mature a bit, it's all about those leaves turning like bright yellow and orange and red. Fucking pumpkins everywhere, <laughs> you know. And you don't find it's pumpkins cozy. everywhere. It's here. like coziness. It's just it's like before the onslaught of winter, everything just gets a little cozy. Your days are still warm. Your your nights yeah. are cool, and you can layer yeah. and like yeah. it's just. 
It's so, so good. good. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's like in the bones good, right? Yeah. So since August, <laughs> I've been watching like TikTok videos about women getting excited for fall and for Halloween. Yeah. And um, they have been fantastic. And my husband, again, who I don't know if I mentioned this already, but he's French, so he doesn't get any of this. 100% um, you mentioned this, Tegan. Why else did you mention Like, I meant in this in this episode, I don't know if I mentioned it. <laughs> like, maybe people haven't listened to the other episodes. <laughs> but anyways, he does I can't remember. Anyway, he, he doesn't get it at all. And he thinks that it's absolutely bonkers. That's because and- you've never brought him here in the fall, and you need to. You need to come. Our plan is to come back uh, next September, October, <laughs> to be October. honest. Do October. October. Yeah. Early October. October. Yeah. It's and the then the you can time. leave the city. Oh, actually, we should do that. And maybe we should go on a little road trip to Chelsea and we'll go to the, the Nordic Spa. It will be so nice. Oh, yeah. Actually, Okay, I see that offer and I raise you an, a, a, another potential idea, which I did with Holly one year, where we uh-huh. took a road trip from Montreal to Quebec City in October yeah. because you kind of go through all of that area that's like just on the border of Vermont. So it's super gorgeous. Yeah, it's super gorgeous. Super there. fall. There's an amazing mm-hmm. park out there with one of those huge. Um, suspension bridges where you just walk through like crazy fall leaves and instead of the nordic spa there is honestly i think it's just it's 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 like another nordic spa but it's got a different name but the coldest pool in this one is actually in the river you go plunge yourself in the river that sounds nice but i'll be completely honest when it comes to actually plunging myself in the cold pools i'd rather just dump a cold bucket of water over my head instead I can't bring myself to do it. It's one of the, it's hard. It's one of those things it's you've got to so kind of work up to. Um, yeah. It's so funny because when Holly originally came to visit us here, um, we took her to the spa and we were trying to get her to do cold plunges with us. And she was like, nah, man, I'm cool. And then like, I kind of convinced her to try it and she liked it so much. And like, fast forward, she's now way more into it than Michael and I are. And she night swims like in the sea. oh yeah ocean (laughs) and she's really good at it and she's even written like whole pieces about swimming at night in the ocean and shit so that's cool (laughs) she's done like like a total like (laughs) i've i've tried it before i've tried the cold pool thing i've done it before it's just not my jam get it i get it but this is all of the fun stuff like it's just like that whole energy about this kind of season is fun and i don't know there's something about i think if there's something about that energy of like turning inward and like this there is kind of like this eerie energy that just kind of starts to revolve around everything and the spooky element of it i don't know it's it's exciting in some way Like with that being said, I don't like gore and I don't like horror and it might sound (laughs) like it doesn't make any sense. Like how can you like spooky stuff and not like gore and horror, but like, I like campy kind of spooky, kind of dark aesthetic, but like, yeah, but, but eerie does not necessarily mean gore. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's another cool thing about this time of year because it's, it can really be different things for different people Mm -hmm. and 
there's a lot of option within it. And I just, I don't know, like, I think because in North America, we celebrate it so wholeheartedly. And even if it's just when you're a kid getting dressed up in costume and going trick or treating, it's like an energy that it's actually a holiday that you can kind of carry over. And because it's kind of like, it's, it is Christian, it is pagan, it's all of this shit. But I mean, at the same time, it's a fun one to participate in as an adult. Like it gets more I fun. Think so. with time. Look, I think that as adults, we kind of lose touch with our inner child a lot of the time. Not everyone, yes. obviously. Yeah, no, 100%. But, but some people really kind of need Halloween as an excuse or like to grant them permission to get in touch with that side of themselves. To go deep. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they need, they need a reason to, to do it. Otherwise they won't, which is really sad in its own right. Like my inner child is alive and well. (laughs) Oh, we know. (laughs) You've got an amazing, amazing, amazing creative mind. And everything you create and put together is fucking gorgeous. Like, even before I actually knew you, I knew the stuff you were making. And I was like, this shit's fucking cool. Holy shit, you know? Well, I feel the same way about you, though. Oh, thanks. I I mean, I don't think I've ever done anything on the level that you and Kayla have done anything. But, like, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) I think that it's different. We've just done different things. But no, like, one is not better than the other. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I don't know. I still feel like your stuff's like pretty fucking good. I don't know. It's a bit better than my stuff. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, I digress because, anyways, it's spooky season. We obviously like it, and we had thought that, um, well, we would dedicate this whole month to talking about spooky stuff, and we kind of like made a huge list, but the list was really extensive, extensive in one way. <laughs> And incredibly vague in another way and uh, very challenging because yeah, when you think of anything related to spooky season, like anything else, there are so many layers and so many ways that you can take a topic that we decided to scrap all of the many topics and kind of narrow in on one. Yeah, because like, okay, just off the top of the dome, what do you think of like or maybe we should actually just get to what we're going to be talking about. I already said it. I already said it, right, earlier. So so we know where we're going with this eventually. Yes. Yeah. But we had many ideas, right? So we had thought about witches. We had thought about mm-hmm. talking about um, vampires because that's another thing we both freaking love. Yep. Deeply. And and it yes. doesn't need to be October for me to love vampires. But anyway, anyway sorry. Um, um, we, what else did we think of? We were talking about potentially werewolves, demons, zombies. Yeah. Um, the whole shebang. Yeah. The whole shebang of things. Because, like, okay, on one level, yeah, there's Halloween and people, like, put little hands reaching up out of their gardens and their front yards. And it's, <laughs> it's funny and it's cute. But, I mean, it all leads into these these stories and you know, we love a good story. And the stories 
all have old versions of themselves and you know all of these things go back and and especially with spooky season stuff i think there's a lot of metaphors for different things like zombies there's a lot of metaphors with zombies and for society there's a lot of um, metaphors around vampires. I once read something where somebody was like, vampires are supposed to re- represent the loners of our society mm. and things like that. So there's many different elements that you can break down and dissect them. So much so, there's so many stories in these topics that we really had to just narrow it down to some one thing because otherwise, I don't think we could have ever covered everything in, in, in this season. No. So we decided to go with our favorite, or one of our favorites, which is... You've touched on it before. You used to practice. I mean, I think we both still do in some ways. I don't know. Like, yeah, like I used, I say, I used to practice, I would say, don't hate me. Don't get mad, guys. Don't get upset. I used to practice Wicca, I would say. And I didn't know... I didn't know that's what it was, but I was really young. I was like 13 uh, from a Mm -hmm. good, from 13 to, I want to say more like uh, maybe like 12, 12 to 16. I was pretty involved with Wicca and it was my practice. And yes, of course I was raised Catholic. So, you know, those things just now I understand they basically belong together, (laughs) but it seems like a rebellion at the time, but it just felt, it felt right. I liked the idea of like being connected with nature and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this more holistic idea to the way you fit in and, and work with the world. And, and Wicca was Wicca back then, but it wasn't criticized like the way that it is now. And understandably, understandably slow. There wasn't a, a, staunch like stark division between witchcraft and wicca and this and that Mm -hmm. and the other thing and now there's so much more complexity into all of it or if that if that was there it wasn't being examined in our society at that time at all so just doing that felt like a huge step compared to the way we were supposed to be I feel like well I I think at that point too um wicca no one had really well obviously you had heard of it but in general, in society, like people had not really heard about it. People it didn't know cool. what it was. No. And it's not like they were trying to get people to convert. Um, Wicca is a little more free form. You, they don't believe that like their way is the right way necessarily. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like in Christian ideology where you believe in one true God or judeo-christian religions or anything like that it's not like an organized religion in the same way which is good and as we've seen in later years can cause a lot of controversy in the way because what i think is really interesting is that in modern time now like where we're at right now is people are really criticizing wicca as an appropriate a practice of appropriation Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's actually pretty accurate but like when i was 13 i didn't understand that i was appropriating egyptian culture and i'm really Mm -hmm. sorry to egypt for that because i just um really vibed with the egyptian energy but i didn't know (laughs) i was actually like, you know, appropriating it. But I was 13 and and I was reading these books and they were telling me you can work with this goddess or that goddess and just mm-hmm. the freedom to actually choose in itself, especially when you grow up Catholic, 
felt it's really in- liberating. Incredible. Yeah, it was really yeah. liberating. So, You're going um, from a monotheistic faith to all of a sudden having the freedom of polytheism and whatever it means to you. Yeah. We've come so far and I don't think, um, especially if, if you're younger and you were kind of already born in the middle of all of this, you might not realize how far, like I was literally pointed at and called a witch. I was called out as a witch in my Catholic fucking high school when I was like 14 or 15 years old. And, and like in a big group setting where there was like there was a big fight breaking out basically. And I was there with one of my friends who was a part of the fight and um, was getting called out in front of everybody for being a witch. And I had a point, I had a choice to either own it or not own it in that moment. You lived the craft. (laughs) What? (laughs) You lived the craft. Like in the movie, the craft, all of the kids point and they're like, she's a witch. Well, it wasn't that extreme, but in a sense, no, (laughs) and I and and I'm also from Hamilton which has a pretty rough and tumble so my answer to it was like yeah I fucking am and what are you gonna do you want to fight me about it you know (laughs) not very peaceful but that's what happened (laughs) so I think because let's get into it because I guess today we're gonna talk a little bit more about witches in popular culture and how they're perceived but I think that the witch figure has really been a quintessential female villain for a really long time and it's really only in in recent history that we've kind of seen this shift a little bit so when you hear the word witch what are the words or like what are what are the images that come to mind well yeah I think that's kind of like kind of a great segue from what we were just talking about because like for example okay so that was how oh my god how many years ago was it when we were teenagers like a long time now I'm 37 now so (laughs) it's a while ago but at that time in a catholic school people were pointing at me and calling me a witch and I felt shame and I felt fear and then at the same time it was still the era where movies like The Craft were coming Mm -hmm. out um there was another famous witch movie around that time that I'm like blanking on the name of. We talked about There was it. lots. There's Practical Magic. There's Hocus Practical Pocus. Magic. Hocus Pocus. That came out before I was even in high school. So, and it wasn't, it wasn't the cult classic that it is today. Even no, I know. Does it really be a cult classic? I don't know. But um, yeah, you know, so I have two very different ideas of a witch when I think of a witch. So Mm -hmm. to me personally, a witch is a healer. A witch is somebody that communes with nature. A witch is somebody that works in, in symbiosis with nature. Um, that is ultimately has a connection, whether or not you want to get into it, if it's all love and light, or if it's a gray witch that's doing like a bit more questionable work, whatever it doesn't, that stuff doesn't really matter. The point is, is that they have a founded relationship with the world or the natural world around them. And then they can, you know, wield that in certain ways. Whereas Mm -hmm. like the pop culture idea of a witch, like you are saying is really up until we were growing up was more, she was like a villain there's there's that really that idea of that classic kind of hag of 
witch, which is like older, big nose, like warts, green, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> crazy hair, living in a forest, um, absolutely doing, practicing evil, right? Yeah. Like evil magic, yeah. dark magic. And, and, and with that, there is only dark magic. And I think that is kind of like a big trope that we see through a lot of um witch stuff even even to this day yeah. because it's it's in, it's interesting and it's kind of entertaining you know what i mean so yeah i think um you know the the examples that you brought with like a light magic and a dark magic that a really good example that you can see in that where there's a juxtaposition is actually in Harry Potter where you have Bellatrix Lestrange as like this evil dark thing and she's gaunt and dark features and she is practicing evil and then you have Ron Weasley's mom who I forget her name Um, and she's like this plump little round thing and super innocent and just trying to protect everyone and very motherly and Yeah. yeah but like when I think of Halloween witches and I look at kids going around um you know you have little kids that are dressing up probably like as an elderly woman, maybe they paint their skin green, like you mentioned, and they're mimicking these people that live on the edge of town. They cackle manically and they've got a pointy hat and like billowy robes and probably have a little black cat, <clears throat> Tegan. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have a black cat <laughs> and I have a wicked hat. I'll put it on later. <laughs> um, but traditionally it is the image of the satanic witch where you have this malicious female magic user who derives her power from a voluntary enslavement to Satan. And that's the stereotype yes. that drives the witch hunts. Uh, you have a witch that casts evil spells and kills virgins and bathes in their blood and then and small children yes. yeah, and has wild orgies in the woods. And on a really deep level, I think that that witch because that's the image of the witch that has been around for a lot longer that witch was a threat to the stability of a heteronormative and patriarchal christian society well that's what they made her right yeah and also that witch and that's what i was saying kind of alluding to a bit earlier that concept of a witch is a very Catholic Christian driven narrative. And I think if, I don't know if you've ever watched, um, so that like, there's so many different types of references in the media around witches. Um, and I think one of the most famous ones at this point is probably Hocus Pocus, but I don't know if you ever watched the Netflix reboot of Sabrina, the teenage witch. Did you ever watch it? Yep. Yeah. I thought if you watch the whole thing, I thought that they did a really interesting thing. I think it was around season three where they start to define a difference between the concept of like the Christian witch and the pagan witch. Uh, They they Mm -hmm. introduce pagans with a green man. Like, listen, it's all it's all not accurate. But it's all derived <laughs> from something. But it's true yes. that leading up until that point, the whole way even, they are witches that actually do sign themselves over to Satan. And they kind of actually start mm-hmm. to point out that that narrative in itself is actually kind of like a Christian concept. Because ultimately, it was Christians that started that idea. <laughs> And we'll be talking. We'll be talking about that in another episode. <laughs> yeah, 
and it's interesting that and, and that's just what's kind of pervade our society but the the history and i'm gonna use the pronoun her because historically witches have been um related to females so her history yeah. as a practitioner of magic and malevolence in literature at least can be traced back a lot further it can be traced as far back as Medea in ancient Greece and Medea is known in stories as being a sorceress but also a witch Mm -hmm. and she's depicted as a priestess of the goddess Hecate and since then like that iteration has repeated and then you see it come into Christian things but like it goes as far back as ancient Greece but then you yeah. see it in things from like Circe to Morgan Le Fay to the Weird Sisters to Marie Laveau and and then you see like depictions in the Wizard of Oz. I think Snow it's quite White. interesting because like the early references of of witches, they're more like if you look at like your examples from Greece and Rome and all of that kind of stuff. Up until up until Catholicism kind of takes over, up until medieval period well we're we're not they are still called referenced as witches but they're kind of considered sorcerers soothsayers people who can tell the future like the weird sisters they're they they share the eye and um a lot of them are kind of like people that can see into the future so they have a sense of mysticism around them and and most of these stories written by men, they're not necessarily put in the best light, but they're not considered like full out like demon worshiping. I'm going to kill your baby and drink its blood kind of that didn't have even impact, really, I don't think at that point in time. And it's not until we start to see um, the medieval med- medievalification <laughs> of witches. Where we really get that narrative of them like dancing around naked with the devil and having orgies and like this this idea that actually gets now perpetuated into this the idea. It's almost like the modern idea of a witch. It's not modern, but it is, you know. There's actually so yeah, so witches have kind of appeared in literature and films for a very long time, but always during mm-hmm. times of instability and I think that the figure often parallels anxiety surrounding the changing position of women in society. So there's a book that I read a really long time ago called Crafting the Witch. And in it, the author reviews legal evidence dating as far back as the 13th century. So looking at all the primary evidence for the trials and things that would happen. And it suggests that a belief in real life witches was sincere, which we already know. Oh, yeah. But the the representation of magic and the threat it posed really ebbed and flowed with verdicts and legal trends at the time. Mm. So at some points, magic was viewed as something that was fairly benign to, and then turning into outright heresy. And benign, benign meaning? Like it wasn't viewed as something that It just existed, was, but it wasn't necessarily good or bad, right? Well, it certainly wasn't bad. It was definitely not something that you had to have on your radar and be worried about. Yeah. So there were all these trials that would happen and accusations of witchcraft. But if women in society at the time 
were kind of following the traditional role for the most part, then they wouldn't be worried about it. And when women were actually all of a sudden trying to fight for their rights, basically the argue or the author of this book argues that the changing economic system produced opportunities for women that weren't previously available. And if that happened, all of a sudden you see the change of magic and witchcraft and witches go from something that was unimportant to heresy. Um, so women who really aspire to take advantage of those opportunities and possibly mm-hmm. neglect their female duties as mm-hmm. wives and mothers were then portrayed as these villainous, child-hating monsters that represented everything that was wrong with the changing landscape. And so basically, basically, they've been trying to squash feminism um, for centuries. Yeah, we and already knew that, and it, and, it, and, it, and it hasn't worked. <laughs> we already knew that. So like, I've read a I'm, bit about this as well in Caliban and the Witch, and and it's mm-hmm. really really interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. So like one example, and I'm just gonna hit upon it really really quickly. One example is with Morgan Le Fay, where mm. she betrays her husband with her her lover Acalon, and in doing so, that's her seeking like a sort of sexual freedom. That's outside of the patriarchal authority of marriage. And then by enlisting Aquilon to fight her brother, King Arthur, in a repeated attempt to destroy Camelot, she is like arguably trying to systematically destroy chivalry itself. And so there's this desire for agency of her body and her attempts to ruin Arthur that really represent the danger of female power and ambition. Mm, that's so interesting. I was just thinking that it's very, very interesting. It's always when it comes to the way that it threatens like um, the patriarchy and the way that the patriarchy is planning to do things. And honestly, it's it's tricky because in the King Arthur story, Arthur in himself is supposed to be fighting the the current king like the current way things are. So you would look at the original kind of king as the patriarchy. And therefore you would attach Morgan Le Fay in trying to take Arthur down to that. But actually, is that really even what's happening? Or That's the thing, right? So, yeah. uh, and then like a much more recent example. And I never really realized this when I was reading it when I was younger as an adult a lot has come out about it, but the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was. <gasps> I haven't. I didn't watch any of the new Narnias because I only. Did you read Narnia movie. though? I didn't read it. No, listen. I read books, but I'm not a hardcore book reader. I am way more of a film and TV consumer. But that being said, I was obsessed with the BBC production of oh. um, Narnia, like way back <laughs> in the nineties. It's so fucking good. You should watch it if you haven't seen it. It's amazing. I haven't seen the BBC version, so I will watch it. Okay. Yeah. This new version? eh, No. (laughs) C.S. Lewis and this book in general, you know, is so uh, championed around the world, or at least in English-speaking parts of the world, I want to say. But reading it as an adult, I have a very different perception. Um, It's interesting, huh? Yeah. So – It was born out of a culturally turbulent time in 20th century Britain. And the witch in the story, actually all females in this book are really portrayed with very traditional sexist bullshit. 
But the witch in, in the story in traditional roles for women. Yeah. Yeah, and like they should be put down. But but the witch in the story is a response to uncertainties over women choosing professional careers over motherhood and marriage. And it, yeah, the book as a whole just perpetuates old myths about femininity and maternity. But Jadis, who is the white witch, epitomizes like a lot of the common characteristics that are generally associated with witches. So she's mm. female, manipulative, cold, calculating. She's mm. definitely not maternal. She possesses magic. She's murderous. And this is kind of how certain women were perceived in British society in the time that the text was actually yeah. written. So, That's like so any, interesting. yeah, any good story between good and evil has to have a villain. Otherwise, like it doesn't work, right? So, right. the problem with Jadis is that she is. It's not that she's a villain; it's that she's this very specific type of villain who has historically maligned and disparage certain women who don't fit into a specific mold in society and women mm. that are deemed appropriate and acceptable. And that is the witch figure traditionally, right? Witch is on the outskirts yes. of town. Yes. So her Always. rejection of socially acceptable behavior and combined with like this violent seizure of power represents the type of women that British society was really uncomfortable with in the early 20th century. Mm. There was a lot of um, there was a progressive push to change the social and political standards of of women in the years leading up to the Great War, mm. which influenced the way that it was written. And right, like it's kind of used to punish women who just don't fit the conservative expectations set for them. So, um, wow. Before wow. World War One, you're looking at the first wave of feminism, and a lot of British people had to question what they felt about women in society and the place of women in society. And then the Great War came and there was a lot of significant impacts, like social, political, and cultural impacts on the realities of life for women. And it kind of divided the population. Um, people were coming back from the war and they found that their jobs were occupied by women and it kind of polarized society as well, mm -hmm. right? And there, there and were let's not forget that all of these men are coming back from war now, absolutely ravaged by patriarchy in their own way that doesn't even begin to get discussed until many, many years later. They're shell shocked, they're absolutely yeah. mentally damaged, and nobody yeah. talks about like what men have to face in war, and then they come back and then they're now put back into like this viewpoint of viewing these people coming in and taking their place after they just did all of this stuff. Yeah. So they're, they've experienced extreme trauma, right? Extreme, and all of a sudden, yeah. you know, women that were in the private sphere and men in the public sphere, those roles were reversed or diminishing. The walls were coming down. Um, and, and there was, like, such a strong emotional pull everywhere. But, like, this book was written in the UK, so we'll talk specifically about the UK. There was this really strong pull to just return to normalcy after the war that it kind of turned into a hatred of working women and then women in general. And there was basically um, – the British government used, I actually wrote this down because it's interesting. The British government used the threat of rape 
and protection of British women from sexual violence as a propaganda tool to recruit citizens in the war effort. An association was subconsciously created between trauma experienced on the front to independence and sexuality of women. And so a lot of, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. What I was just going to, I'm just going to interject for like two seconds because I I do want to ask if you have read that book, Caliban and the Witch, because. No, I want to. It's really, really interesting and Sylvia Federici does an amazing kind of job at explaining that anytime there's destabilization in in our society, as early as the era when we leave, again, we, we've talked about this in the past, but the, the era where we're shifting um, from feudalism and we're shifting into the economy that we essentially know today. So we start um, working with money and money as an exchange. They have been using raping women as a tool, whether they're trying to protect women from being raped or whether they're trying to tell men to rape women. They've been using that as a tool since the beginning of this system that we are now in. And anybody who is lucky enough to have the education to like follow and find that information in the past. Like for us, we have access to so many things now because of the internet and, and books and things like that. But at a, at a certain point in time, it would have been only like a wealthier, higher class person that would have had access to understanding, seeing that history. But it's essentially been like a recycled, a repeat behavior that they have always used. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that, that is a political tactic to this day, to this day. Yeah, Even. absolutely. Absolutely. Even I really do want to read Caliban and the Witch. Um, yeah, it's on it, my book list. It's fantastic. And it really aligns with everything that you're talking about in relation to the making of the witch book and um, also to in relation to what you're talking about in relation to um, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and mm-hmm. Narnia, Britain, like all of that stuff. Yeah. And so, okay. So when these soldiers were coming back, and, you know, they're distraught, they're in trauma. There's now this subconscious correlation between women's sexual liberation and freedom and with like them working and them not having the jobs that they used to have. All of a sudden, they directed their violence towards women and girls. Yeah. And so sexual attacks upon women just completely filled the newspaper at this time. And the answer to it, society's answer to it was get married. It'll cure the aggression and violence that is stemming from the sexual repression and war because... It'll keep you safe if you have one man. Yeah. Sex can be expressed safely in marriage. Safely, in quotation marks there. Um, And and that alone shows society's propensity, and this still happens today, to take responsibility away from the men who exhibited aggression and violence and place that responsibility for these men onto the women. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is such bullshit, but they're basically forced to marry and submit to their sexual husband's sexual needs. And then what comes next? Babies. Uh, it's the next step. And so these ideas about women and their place in society and the attacks of sexual violence against them kind of kept going for the next couple of decades until world, world, bleh, world war II. And the idea that feminism threatened the stability of family really meant that it threatened the stability of the state and, Mm -hmm. you know, 
you see the transformation of media's representation of witches throughout the later half of the century. And again, it correlates with feminism every time. The way in which it changes correlates with the feminist movements. It's so funny. It's so interesting because yesterday Michael and I were talking about kind of something semi-related, but um, slightly unrelated, but related. And he basically had said to me, well, you know, because the way society works is if you control women, you control society. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. You know, like you kind of like it was very insightful. And I was like, and and just like everything you're explaining right now kind of feels like to the point of that, really. Yeah. 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 Um, but the last hundred years has really seen this shift in how we perceive witches as like milestones for women's right, where all of a sudden women can own property. We can vote. We can have our own bank accounts. Oh, my gosh. And we won't publicly be burned at the stake if we don't get married. And now, and now what we do is we actually like almost, I start to idolize these tropes that were initially implemented to make the idea of a witch fearful. And I'm, I'm going to circle it back around Hocus Pocus just because, I mean, I wasn't crazy about that film when it came out when I was younger, um, but it, it has such a massive following these days and Mm -hmm. pretty much it's almost synonymous with October you think about Halloween and people are obsessed obsessed like and I'm talking mainstream media is obsessed with Hocus Pocus but it's very interesting to me because those three witches are classically the trope of an evil witch like they've Mm -hmm. had a pact with the devil they've they make, I think they allude to like orgies and like, you know, stuff. They're literally sucking energy out of babies and children. And it's supposed to be scary, but in some way something has shifted. And now we kind of love those ladies in a weird way, even though they're villains, they've become like this, these like anti, like anti heroes in in a certain sense. And I think that's, that's very, very interesting. Yeah, the satanic witch kind of has become the feminist witch. Yeah. So she who is abnormal, she who is unconventional, who is independently powerful, it must be the work of the devil or some like twisted higher being, right? Yeah. And the revamped image of the witch kind of lends itself to the feminist movement by transforming the idea of which as something from being like inherently evil, so inherently evil, it must be destroyed to an empowering figure that just doesn't conform to traditional society. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have a confession to make and yeah. it kind of falls in line with everything we're talking about right now. When we were planning out this set of podcasts, um, we were talking about all of the examples of witches like in pop culture movies. And I had actually mentioned the movie The Witches, which I think came out in the 80s with Angelica Houston. I, I can't remember if you've actually seen it or not. Have you seen I it? haven't seen that one, no. It is, it's very strange because it, 
it toggles this weird line between being like a lighthearted kids movie and also being super creepy and weird. And I think it's partially to do with the uh, like film aesthetics at the time, because when the movie came out, they didn't have CGI or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. they're working with a lot of like makeup when they convert the witches. And ultimately like in this story, witches are evil and they're whole premise for existence is to kill children they hate children and children smell like poop to them so they just want (laughs) to poison them and so the whole the whole premise is like a group of witches go to a hotel because they're having a convention about all the ways that they want to kill kids and Angelica Houston is like the high witch and you guys know especially like Angelica Houston back then it's not so far away from Adam's family she's like you know statuesque and like incredible and she um really commands this role but it's but the secret of the witches and these and you always know a witch in this in this story because she has no toes so in the original story they only wear square shoes because they have no toes they also um they also don't have any hair they're bald so they're always wearing wigs or hats but they get really itchy under the head because they get these sores from like wearing the wearing the hats all the time and they have really good senses of smell so they can like smell the smell the kids and essentially their plot is to poison all the children with candy turn them into mice and then like exterminate them basically sorry Should I have said spoiler alert? Yeah, spoiler alert. So anyways, this is a movie that came out in the 80s. And it's really this there's a scene where all of these women are like scratching at themselves and they're like all uncomfortable in their clothes. And they're just like getting almost like it seems like almost like sexually aroused to like take their wigs off and take their shoes off. And they just like completely disrobe and you see them as these like hideous, the the true witches they are. And just imagine with like major prosthetics and stuff. And there happens to be a little boy in the room hiding and they can smell him. And then they're kind of, they smell him out and then they kind of pull him out and they're all writhing around him because they're like excited because they like want to kill him. And like, I, I'm trying to explain it. It, it. it feels gross. Like watching it, you're like, ah, fuck. And then they they turn him into a mice, mouse. He gets away. I won't tell you that whole way that it ends, but it's it was a very uncomfortable thing to watch. They also love to trap children in paintings in the original movie, and it's kind of old, done in this British style. It's it's very uncomfortable. But they do use a lot of these stereotypes of of the classical witch. Yeah, but also this was in the eighties. Yeah, but the reason I bring it up is because they they remade it. They remade it in oh okay twenty twenty one. Um, so it just they remade it in twenty twenty one, and um, uh, this actress that I can't I'm not her I'm not her biggest fan from The Devil Wears Prada, not Meryl Streep. I love Meryl Streep. The other one. Oh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, yeah. I'm not a huge Anne Hathaway fan, but I have to admit, she is a good actress. Um, But she plays Angelica Houston's role. So she plays the Grand High Witch in the remake. Mm -hmm. 
And when we had talked last week, I was like, I'm not going to watch it. I can't imagine that it could be better than the other one because the other one's Is it better? It's not better, but okay. I did watch it. (laughs) I lied. (laughs) I did watch it. It's not, it is better and it's not better. Like they are different, but they're both really good. They, what made the new one better is they gave a richer storyline to the little boy and his grandmother and how they ended up together. They also made the cast more diverse. So in the original one, it's just a bunch of, just a bunch of white people. And, uh, in this one, it's more interesting because the little boy and his grandmother are, are black. And so there's also that extra layer of that conversation around race and the witches between the family. But this kind of, again, falls in line with the feminist movement. So, well, this is what I was, I know it's a long way around, but this is ultimately what I was trying to get (laughs) to, because what I thought was interesting in this reboot is they actually make the, they make the grandmother a wise woman. So basically Mm -hmm. she's actually Christian and Catholic because she's being driven around um, by people from the church, but she has an entire room. um, Basically they kind of call her, they allude to the fact that she is a a voodoo priestess, which is another conversation Mm -hmm. for another time. It's also quite connected to the Catholic church, but they make her out to be as a medicine woman. They make her to be like a good witch. And then this white, uh, high, high love, high witch is an evil witch. But it's really, really interesting Mm -hmm. to me because if you like, again, if you read books like Caliban and the witch and you look at, the way the original concepts in medieval era times came around about witches, they were ultimately taking women who were in society as medicine women who were working as uh sage femme. So like uh, helping to like birth babies and like the women who acted as medicine keepers and like helped their communities, they were trying to turn people against them and call them witches. So I thought it was very interesting that in this like sec in this film and this day, they, essentially try to separate these two as a good witch and bad witch, but ultimately this idea was one person, you know what I mean? A long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. The idea that, yeah, it was one person once upon a time. It's, it's interesting to see kind of how it has shaped up and how it has changed. I think when the first movie came out, that was during the second wave of feminism and at that point, like women were throwing out their makeup and their high heels and their girdles and their bras, and they didn't care about looking feminine. So the fact that these witches were kind of portrayed as these gnarled creatures, they've always been portrayed like that, but um, yeah. there was no like beautiful image. There's right? so many layers. It's so, it's, it just shows you how layered it is, how complex it can be to be a woman, because there's so many layers within that judgment. There's so much division in those ideas and, and all of it is crafted by people that aren't necessarily uh, female or female or feminine minded, you know, matriarchally minded, you know what I mean? So it's, it's very, very, very interesting. Yeah. So the third wave of feminism, you know, it 
was it became a lot more global because of the internet. But all of a sudden, where previously women were throwing out the things that helped them make them more female in in the third wave, and like so, this is the '90s that we're talking about. You see women donning makeup and wearing push-up bras and all of a sudden they're like it's possible for me to look like this and have a push-up bra and also have a brain at the same time cute spice girls yeah (laughs) right and and that's also then where we see movies or tv shows like charmed come out and buffy's out (gasps) and you see all of these things come out in the 90s and then the fourth wave is more modern. Uh, It's like what we're going through right now, where we're talking about rape on college and university campuses and slut shaming, victim blaming. And all of a sudden, women refers to all women. So any ethnicity, uh, we're talking about uh, non-binary and gender fluid people are included in this. And we're talking about all sorts of different um, economic backgrounds. So someone can be homeless or someone can live in a super affluent area. They can be an immigrant. They can be born in a country. Um, the fourth wave of modern day feminism is trying to be much more inclusive. And so it's interesting that this film comes out then in the fourth wave and you're seeing more diversity in that. Mm-hmm. But there, there is still some kind of, and I guess, and, and this is also kind of the point um, I was trying to get to with all of the things I've been talking about in this episode is that ultimately like stories have to be driven by something, right? Like they have to be driven yeah. by a character or they have to be driven by um, like an, an exciting plot, you know, and it's really interesting the way that they could like essentially take a concept that is um in its holistic state is like you could be all of these things at once and like divide Mm -hmm. it and separate it like within the case of the new witches um and just kind of like still find ways to like pit things against each other and it's all very like the, the dynamics of it it's just it's really interesting to see it when you have that background awareness of what you're talking about in relation to in feminism and the oppression of women we even see it now like we see it um and it's very tricky to to um to kind of break down but like when you look at um the current stage of health wellness or I will say like spiritual wellness in relation to women um you will see a lot of conversations relating to women connecting with their divine feminine and this kind of almost started in a in a spiritualistic way to kind of connect with feminism through spirit and it's mm-hmm. been slowly the idea of has kind of slowly been taken by a more patriarchal mentality and is ultimately emitting now these repackaged and repurposed Christian values. And it's very hard in our society with all of the, you know, to be honest, the different podcasters and different social media people we have out there to kind of realize that a lot of these concepts are not, not always harmful to women, but still can be harmful to to women. Mm -hmm. I see a lot in the wellness industry to, to this day of, of, this concept of really sinking into into your divine feminine and what it really means to be a woman, but ultimately, and to be soft, which yes. Okay. This is an aspect 
of women. It's not the complete picture of women, but um, it it gets perpetuated as a complete picture. Like to be a woman, it means to be soft and feminine, which is ultimately Mm -hmm. that one view is ultimately a Christian derivative, a Catholic derivative, really. And um, people are working now with like witchcraft and pagan things with the sole objective of focusing on that and not realizing that ultimately they're just feeding this idea that we've actually been trying to get away from. So, you know, it's, it's a head scratcher, (laughs) but, but a lot of that happens now. So it's really important, I think, to understand the way feminism has worked and the way that people have want or the way that the patriarchy wants to repress that, um, to understand all of these things in relation to stories, in relation to um, th- this kind of that kind of industry. Because you know, I also work in the wellness industry, and I also work as like a energy facilitator. So I see a lot of that stuff out there, and it's 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 interesting to know that there might be an agenda that we're not fully aware of. You know, totally. And I think that's a good place for us to wrap this week. Um, Tune in next time as we continue this conversation. Yeah, we're going to keep going because I feel like we could just keep going with this one. Yeah. We could just keep going. There's a, there's still a bit more to cover. So thank you and so we much. We didn't even for talk about everything yet. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, for no. <laughs> <laughs> and we will see you next time.